Hello, it's the Productize Podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Thanks as always for tuning in. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, I'd really appreciate if you head over to iTunes and, and leave a five-star review. That that always helps out the show. Today, I'm talking to Jordan Johnson. He's the co-founder of RipplePop.com. They solve that WordPress developer as a service problem. We, we've seen many shapes and sizes and different iterations of businesses that have solved the, uh, the WordPress help need. Obviously, WordPress is a hugely widespread platform that tons of businesses use for their websites. But what Jordan and, and his partner have found is the specific needs of agencies, different types of creative agencies and whatnot who serve clients who have WordPress-based websites, and they need to have a developer available to service those websites. And so they've, it was interesting to hear the evolution from the the more typical productized model that you see in the WordPress space of like unlimited small jobs to a, a higher priced monthly retainer where they match you up with a direct developer and uh, they actually uh, provide them with package of hours for that developer and we we get into that so yeah we we talk about how they figured out the structure and um, and also an interesting way that they actually launched this business it was out of the Kind of like explosion of of a re, of a previous startup that they were employed at, where all the clients were were left in a lurch, and Jordan and his partner were able to pick them up as their first customers. That that was an interesting part of the story. So uh, yeah, let's head right into it. Here is my conversation with Jordan Johnson from Ripple Pop. Enjoy. Jordan Johnson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So yeah, it's great to connect with you. You are the co-founder of ripplepop.com. Yes, I am. Uh, yeah, so why don't you tell <laughs> us uh, tell us about it? You're you're in the WordPress space here. Yeah, how do you describe what it is? Yeah, so really at ripplepop kind of our main goal for for the longest time has always been to match our customers with, you know, a developer that's really going to make them happy. So, you know, Mike and I our other co-founder kind of know from firsthand experience, you know, what it's like to have a customer that really enjoys working with you, having a client, you know, that really enjoys you completing their work and just sort of you being their go-to guy. And so what we really wanted to offer was that, you know, to our customers was, you know, a plan where we give you your sort of go-to WordPress guy um, who you can hand your work off to, you know, and expect reliable, professional sort of experience in the process. You know, you're not going to have somebody bail on you for a week and not answer emails or anything like that. You know, at the end of the day, you'll have Mike and I to report to if, you know, your developer's not reporting in. But from the start, it's always sort of been about that one-on-one relationship. Instead of, you know, having a pool of developers and a customer submits a request and whoever can get to it fastest gets to it, we kind of go the opposite route and say, no, this is your developer, John. He's going to be your developer. He's online during these hours. You know, don't expect 24-7, you know, coverage, but he will be your guy, you know, going in and out of all your sites, just him. And so that really seemed to, you know, kind of be a big, big point for, for a lot of customers. They really seem to enjoy that. Yeah, interesting. You know, I, I see a lot of these WordPress-based productized services, right? And mm-hmm. um and it seems like you have taken this a little bit more interesting angle on it. Like we've we've seen several of of the lower cost per month, unlimited small requests, small updates, yep. like update your plugins and and I don't know, tweak a photo or, mm-hmm. or small things like that. But it looks like the Ripple Pop it, it seems it is geared more towards the we have a lot of work to do. We have, we yeah. have a lot of development 
needs and we need a direct developer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, when we originally started, we were kind of playing that same game, which was, you know, hey, how do we offer a plan under $100? We'll do small tasks only and kind of the service has a scope. We started out that way. And that's, you know, what a lot of other, you know, services are doing is, you know, 30 minute requests and under 50 bucks a month, 70 bucks a month, and, and you're all set. And really to us over time, that became, you know, an obvious race to the bottom. Uh, every week there was another service coming out for $10 cheaper than the last one, making all the same promises. And so, you know, it really made it hard to say, you know, what makes our service really stand out over the others? When, you know, at the end of the day, the answer was, you know, most likely nothing. It's a lot of the same, you know, in general workers and, and people that each business is looking for to be the, you know, developer for these customers. And so at the end of the day, we, we really had to think about, you know, what's going to be a difference maker and why somebody chooses us. And that's maybe about a year, a year and a half in, we really decided to change up our pricing model and our structure to no longer be going for, you know, just the smaller customers or smaller people looking for smaller day-to-day things and targeting more agencies who, you know, I have a month's worth of work to offload and I really need that reliable developer. And so that's kind of where we shifted our attention to was instead of, you know, Bob's donut shop and helping him with his small little posts every week, we started trying to target more agencies and people who, you know, I have 10 websites lined up for the next two months and I need, you know, three developers full time, you know, to get those done. Can that, that sort of customer. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go back in your story and hear how that evolved because it sounds mm-hmm. like you, you had some pretty interesting learnings and like, yeah. you know, pivots, if you will. I want to get, I still want to ask a few more questions about how it actually works today. Sure. Are you primarily working with agencies? So they're hiring RipplePop for developers to then work on a number of different sites for their clients. Is, is that? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much at? agencies or small, like one man band style agencies, somebody who just, you know, they're kind of overwhelmed with work and they want, you know, a reliable source to pass things off to. And what we did with our pricing structure and our changes to, to the whole plan was really to just think about, you know, what do agencies want? These sort of unlimited and, you know, sort of, I don't know, grandiose plans that, that are offered all around the web for, you know, under $100 for unlimited WordPress fixes a month and all that sort of terminology that they'll use. That's not really... You know, that sounds great to an agency, but at the end of the day, they want to know how much work am I going to get done a day? What can I expect? You know, can the developer meet this deadline? And most of the time with those other services, the answers are very up in the air. Well, that might not be in scope of our service or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And you can only like stack so many of those 30 minute requests. Exactly. Yes. So what we decided to do was. Originally, when we started, we were kind of against this idea and it sort of, you know, after just deliberating on it for a while, we, we decided that it seemed like the best route. And that was to kind of go back to the, the hourly sort of pricing or, or plans. So now when an agency signs up for us, they sign up for two hours of work a day, four hours of work a day, or eight hours of work a day. It translates a lot easier over to agencies and it allows them to scale up. You know, they might try one of our developers at two hours a day. The first week goes really well. Okay, let's ramp him up to four hours a day for the next week. So that's kind of how our pricing changed was, you know, instead of going this unlimited, you know, we'll make all these promises for 
under $100 sort of pricing. We said, no, we'll give you, you know, two hours a day tracked and, you know, our management keeps track of all that stuff and their check-ins and making sure that they're emailing the customers during their shift and all of that good stuff. And that really seemed to resonate, uh, you know, with, with agencies and with people really looking to offload a lot of work because they didn't want these sort of lofty promises. They wanted sort of, you know, what's, what's it break down to? How much work am I getting from this person a day? Got it. Got it. And, and so as I see your pricing today, of course, we, we don't know when people might be listening to this. Your, your pricing would probably change over time. But as of today, here in the middle of 2020, what I see on the website is the top plan is $29.99 for looks like a full time, like eight hours a day. And yep. then the $14.99 for 40 hours per month. Yeah, we have a, a full-time option currently, and we have what's called our flex option currently. Did you want me to kind of go into details about those? Or? I'm curious about like, you talk about like sort of comparing it to the to the lower priced, like smaller job services out there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I remember like WP Curve was sort of like the, the yeah. original version of that. Yeah. But it would seem to me that that your main competition would be agencies just hiring their own developer directly, no? Correct. Yeah. So really one of our one of our, you know, main places that people will go source people alternatively would be Upwork, right? Or, you know, some sort of freelancer market, you know, where they can find the person themselves, negotiate the rate, and you know, have somebody on full time. Really what we're bringing to the table is we're saying, you know, hey, we'll do all the finding, interviewing, you know, making sure they have the right skills. And, you know, we'll show you, you know, who we have on our team. If they match what you need, great, go ahead and get started. And you don't have to spend all of that upfront time of your own time, you know, hiring, meeting with these people, making sure the team's okay, you know, all that sort of stuff. And with, you know, a 14-day money-back guarantee, it makes it pretty risk-free in a sense to get going with a developer with us, see if it works before, you know, potentially trying a plan B if it just wasn't the right fit. Got it. Very nice. Do you ever get the request or maybe you get it a lot of like somebody's been working with one of your developers for several months and they really like how it's going? Like, can they buy them out if, if they will? Yeah. Yeah. So we've had, it's funny you say that we've had a lot of internal discussions on what we might want our policy to be around that. Have you had those discussions because you get the request? We have gotten it a few times. Yes. But it's more, it was more so a question of we knew it was going to happen before we switched to this model. And so we had to have sort of the discussion because I remember having a talk with my dad about switching to this model. He's a big, you know, kind of business guy. And he, that was the first thing he said was, you know, well, what's the buyout cost going to be if somebody wants to take your person full time and take them away from you? You know, what's yeah. the penalty? What's the cost? That sort of thing. Yeah. Cause I, I think that is a pretty standard like recruiting model, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So in, in any sort of like staffing model, there is, you know, some sort of fee for that. With the discussions Mike and I had, you know, I was kind of on the side of, hey, let's come up with a fee. And he was kind of on the side of, you know, hey, our developers are our talent and our value. If we offer them to be bought out, then, you know, we're potential. I mean, you can always, in a sense, find replacement developers. But for us, our goal is to not necessarily grow RipplePop to be this insanely large thing that is just dwarfing all other companies. Our goal is, you know, we have a set customer number limit in mind that we want to hit. And when we hit that number, you know, we're not, you know, going to be chasing new sales or, or, you know, really trying to grow the company. We have a sort of good enough, you know, level that we're trying to get to 
that really, you know, we want to keep the team small. We want to keep our customer numbers limited so that, you know, we, we really have a good grip on the quality of people, you know, we're giving each customer. For us, it's not about, you know, scaling to this huge company. It's really about, you know, becoming the right size where we really feel we're servicing the customers well and we've grown to a point where, you know, we're happy and we can think about, you know, whatever's next. That's interesting. I mean, can you tell me more about that? Like, well, first of all, are you able to share like what what does your team size look like right now? Like how many different developers and and are there any other roles involved here, like project managers or anything like that? Yeah, so we have a few managers. Um, you know, we have our hiring manager who is, you know, their sole job is to go find talent and get them started in our interviewing and hiring process. We have a customer champion who's kind of your standard, you know, customer support. If you're going to send an email with some general questions, you know, she'll be the one to reply to you. We also have another manager whose role is to kind of fill the gaps in between them. So some days a developer will be sick and they need a replacement for a customer. And, you know, we need a manager to go find a replacement that's suitable, make sure that they have the customer's contact information and the shift schedule, and that they know when they're replacing that developer, what's, you know, first up on their plate for that day, things like that. So those are really the three big management roles that we have in place. Otherwise, it really is just Mike and I and those three managers. And we have, I mean, it's fluxing at any time, but uh, I think currently we're in the high 40s for how many developers that we currently have. So, Okay. And they're all based in the Philippines? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we do source from the Philippines um, for a few reasons. One of the main ones uh, really is, is customers want to be able to communicate with their dev easily and don't want to feel like there's a lot of miscommunications. And English skills uh, for Filipinos is really excellent, mainly just because yeah. they're taught it at such a young age. Yeah. And then you just have, you know, the price factor where I can pay, you know, one of our developers in the Philippines a living wage, you know, enough where he can support his family, um, you know, all that good stuff. And want to stay with the company and grow with the company. Whereas, you know, if I'm paying a college kid here, six months down the road, they're looking for their next opportunity because I can't scale up their pay. So works on both ends where, you know, we can really have long-term happy team members, you know, as well, just because, you know, with how the dollar and Filipino peso works and all that fun stuff. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's just how, you know, a lot of these services are going to work with, with sort of labor arbitrage, right? Is we'll go find the labor and, you know, we'll pay a markup on that for, you know, in a sense, finding them, making sure they have the right talents, testing them and hiring them. I still wanted to ask you about like, because you, you, you mentioned that you, there's sort of like a cap in your yeah. mind mm-hmm. in terms of like, is, is it team size? Is it revenue level where you, you'll feel comfortable? And, and are you at that point now? Or what does that look like? For you? Yes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not all that far. But uh, yeah, so really in our mind, it, it's, it's sort of a, a revenue figure, which is based around how many customers at what tiers on our plans it would take to get to those numbers. And it's more so just because, like I said, Mike and I, we're not, I mean, sure, we're like anyone else. We would love for this to make as much money as possible, but we aren't looking to, like I said, grow this thing to be some managerial nightmare. You know, we like that it's a smaller team of people we all know really well, runs really well. And really, you know, we're not too far away from being at a, at a capacity where we feel really good about where we're at as a business. And then Mike and I, you know, also feel good from, you know, our level of thinking about what's next. You know, are we going to branch into, 
you know, for example, we're not necessarily doing this stuff, but, you know, just ideas throwing around are, you know, you could branch into making plugins for customers because we have such an in-depth knowledge of, you know, what plugins and tools they're using that we could make something so tailored to our experience with those customers and sell that sort of stuff, right? So, yeah, like, is that, it's interesting, like, you know, because you can keep growing using systems and, and it and it doesn't even have to be like it's it's just a, really a preference for everyone you know and, yeah. and i think it's it's really interesting and it's good to highlight you know you here on the podcast hearing someone who's who's willing to say like you know once we reach a comfortable level and we're almost there that's that's good enough you know yeah. it, it, we don't have to do the the growth at all costs thing yeah but is that is that your thinking right now is it is it that there's sort of this desire to maybe someday go into software products plugins what have you, rather than really um, growing out the management? There's always going to be a desire to move into software when you work in, you know, sort of labor or hourly work. Um, anything that you can just sell over and over again will seem extremely attractive once you've been doing what we've been doing for a while. But uh, yeah, I mean, really for us, yeah, it just breaks down to kind of a lot of the base camp guys, Jason Freed and David DHH or whatever. Um, I can't think of his last name. Yeah. Those Basecamp guys sort of, yeah, methodology, right? Where, you know, Basecamp isn't looking to grow to be the biggest company out there, the biggest project management software out there. They're looking to service. Yeah, they are. (laughs) But they don't necessarily take in, you know, feature requests and go implement that because the user wants it, right? They implement features that they that they want. Right. And it's it's more it's not so much you know, a relationship of trying to make Basecamp the biggest thing in the world that it could be because, you know, I think they would have made a lot of decisions differently. You know, their decision making always from the start was let's make Basecamp a project management tool we really want to use. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, with a productized service like this, I think you're smart to keep it limited in in scope. You know, I I sort of have the same, a similar mentality with, with my service business audience ops where it's like, yeah, we we do continue to grow, but there have been plenty of requests and things that we just say no to because yeah. it's like it's not part of our package. We're we're not interested in having these like exceptions to the rules and sort of things. So let's go back in the story a little bit. So uh, Ripple Pop, you, you mentioned that you started around five years ago. Uh, what were you doing before then? And also, how did you meet your your co-founder? Like, do you come from a background as a as a WordPress developer or web developer? Yeah, I have a background in web development. Originally, I started uh, college in graphic design and switched over to web development. So I kind of always had this design development background. You know, my mom or aunt or uncle always asking me for, hey, can you put up a website for me sort of stuff. And out of college, I was actually hired at Ogilvy. nightmares about those requests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They, <laughs> I still get phone calls from random family members about web help, just kind of cemented as that guy in their mind now. Can you fix my printer? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> probably, but... <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to? <laughs> yeah, but Google's your friend. Um, so, yeah, uh, out of college, I, I started working at Ogilvy & Mather, a uh, big ad agency. And it was really awesome. You know, don't get me wrong. I have nothing bad to say about it. Really awesome place to work. Really awesome people. The only thing was it it just felt still like an assembly line in a sense where... You know, I was, you know, a creative, but I was being passed a project that made it to this point. And my, you know, job was to do these three or four tinkering things and pass it on to the next person. 
you know, it was never really seeing a project through. It was never, you know, sitting with a client discussing, never getting, you know, honest feedback from a customer on, wow, you know, I really liked what you did here. You know, it was a lot of, like I said, just felt like assembly line work. So I, you know, just started looking for other opportunities about a, after spending a year there and, you know, kind of getting a good year of agency life under my belt. And I found this small startup in Chicago, about 10 team members and decided, you know, hey, I'll apply there. And I heard back from them and, and everything, you know, came out, you know, looking really good. It, it seemed kind of like a fun move, maybe not the smartest move. A lot of people I talked to are like, no, get you know, get four or five years at Ogilvy under your belt and you'll be able to get a job, you know, wherever, whatever agency you want next. And, you know, I kind of went against that because I just, you know, I, I, I had an itch that wasn't being scratched in a sense. And I, I wasn't about to, you know, spend all my nights and weekends trying to scratch that itch and have no energy, you know, left over. So I left for the small sort of startup life. It was a startup called Build This. And they were a, a web development shop making web applications and, you know, websites and all that fun stuff. And, you know, I kind of went from being a little tinkerer on the line to, you know, wearing one of 20 different hats every day and putting out, you know, 30 different fires and just kind of being, you know, a one minute you're a developer, the next minute you're a manager and, you know, the next minute you're in a client meeting and um, you're just kind of, you know, keeping the ship moving. So um, it was quite an experience to go from super organized, you know, agency life to chaotic startup life. About a year into startup life uh, at Build This, they were purchased by another web development company. Surprisingly, just wanted to keep their the name and a few of the top customers, and they ended up letting everyone on the team go. That's strange. Usually, like an acquisition like that is usually about acquiring the talent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very strange. Um, it was a really weird scenario. Anyways, Mike, uh, started working at build this shortly after I did doing some web development and stuff. He has actually been my best friend since third grade. He moved here from South Africa and he was my, my neighbor across the street. You know, I just went over there one day and said, hi, I'm Jordan. I'm your kind of neighbor. You want to, you know, go jump on my trampoline sort of thing. And we've been best friends ever since. So he was working at a at a smaller agency at the time and was kind of unhappy. And I said, you know, hey, I'm over at this, you know, startup and it's pretty fun. They have a position open. And uh, he ended up coming to work there too. And so it was pretty awesome to be able to work with my best friend, bring the dog into the office sort of stuff you get to do at startups. And, you know, just kind of have that experience. What led you both to A, just decide like, hey, I, I think at some point we want to do something together, like start a business. And then B, like, what was the, the point where it was like, okay, I think it's time to actually dive in and leave this company? A lot of it really started when, when we were there, Mike and I knew about WP Curve. It was funny you brought them up earlier. We kind of knew what they were doing. We knew that, hey, you know, we at Build This should consider a support plan, you know, recurring revenue, you know, it was really we we just noticed that you know project to project it, it's it's very much you know a gamble to hope that you're going to land the next project to keep your team employed for the next 6 months sort of thing and so you know we just saw the monthly recurring revenue model and thought you know hey this is a good idea that you know we can get some monthly recurring revenue coming in and really have a baseline of how much money we can expect month to month and so it was an idea that we were kind of shopping around then, never quite got off the ground just because too many fires to put out, too many, you know, customers with deadlines and whatnot. 
And by the time the acquisition was made, we had, you know, I can't remember what the number was, but quite a few, 20 or 30 or so customers who, you know, no longer had a web shop to turn to for help. And so that was sort of the day, pretty much the day that Mike and I found out that, okay, we're being acquired and in two weeks, you guys are going to need to find your own thing to do was pretty much, hey, let's let's come up with a plan and let's contact these customers who are, you know, no longer with Build This and let's see if they want to still work with us. We can tell them, you know, we were their developers at Build This before the acquisition and, you know, if they want to stick with us as their developers, they can. It will just be under this new sort of business. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was really, you know, I mean, that sort of launching pad to have that, not everyone has that out of the gate. Yeah, and so with that, you and Mike, you were basically in contact with these with these clients through through the uh, through the previous company. I mean, was there any sort of formal agreement when when the acquisition happened or when the announcement was made that like, hey, you know, you're all like free to contact the clients if you want, or was it specifically you and Mike who could do that? Like, how did that work? Yeah, yeah. So we had a conversation with the owners, and we said, you know, hey, what's going to happen to those? those people and their projects, because there was one site in particular we were working on and it was 30, 40% of the way done. And I was kind of concerned because, you know, I really, you know, come to care for some of these customers who end up being really nice to you. You know, they'll go by and have lunch with you some days or whatnot. A lot of them are local Chicago people. You know, I felt bad that, you know, hey, this guy's got a website, you know, we promised we we're going to deliver it and you guys are just going to, you know, close the door on him. You know, do Mike and I, you know, do we have permission to contact these customers and, you know, not leave this money on the table? And so, yeah, we got we got the okay from them for the customers that were, you know, not on the list of customers going over with the acquisition. But uh, yeah, it was it was a really fortunate scenario in that we had that sort of spring springboard to jump off of to start off of and, you know, have 20 or 30 customers sort of out of the gate kind of ready to sign up. You know, so we weren't, you know, having to, you know, get part-time jobs in between or anything like that to really get it off the ground. And were you like o- overwhelmed with, with taking? Like, was it was it just you and Mike, or did you have help at that point? Yeah, it was it was just Mike and I for about the first year. Um, we basically, you know, just had to come up with a system to to make our lives easy. And for us, it was all right, I'll manage these 15 customer Trello boards. We made a Trello board, you know, a to-do list in progress done. Um, I managed 15 and he managed 15. And, you know, for a while we were kind of happy living in that, you know, that little world of, you know, we just got 15 customers each to keep happy. And as long as they're happy, we're happy. Just a minute to tell you about Process Kit. If your operation needs to become more efficient and more predictable so that your team never lets anything fall through the cracks, then it's time to implement ProcessKit. ProcessKit is process-driven project management software made for powering client services businesses. It's especially designed with productized services in mind. Create powerful SOPs with built-in if-this-then-that automations, and then use those processes to power all of your repeatable projects. Whether you're managing a pipeline of new clients onboarding to your service, or tracking weekly deliverables, sales proposals, marketing assets, or admin work, ProcessKit is your team's place for getting it all done, but more importantly, done right. Use our powerful Zapier integration to hook ProcessKit into all of your other systems. And if you'd like expert help with improving your processes and automations, ask about our ProcessKit implementer service. 
Request your free demo and trial at processkit.com. How about like, um, you know, like billing and revenue? Like, did you, did you basically contact each of those individual customers and sort of negotiate like a new monthly rate based on what they were paying before? Yeah. So most of the people we contacted were um, working with Build This for one-off projects. So it was, it was more like we were being, you know, contracted for a project. We didn't have an MRR, like monthly recurring plan at Build This. So when we came up to them and we said, you know, hey, you know, we realize you had Build This on retainer for probably an expensive amount or, you know, a contract open. And we said, you know, we're planning on offering a $79 a month plan where you can always have a bug in our ear and always ask for help if you need it. And, you know, so, so to everybody there, it seemed like a steal in comparison to, you know, working with sort of these retainers or these large contracts or whatnot. And so you actually started off with, with those clients with that low, you know, monthly plan, the, the 79 a month? Yep. It was 79 a month for one site covered. And we would do like two or three 15 to 20 minute tasks a day. So kind of your standard lower cost support plan structure that it is now or that you'll see kind of now is, is what we were doing then. Like, like I said, we, we looked at what WP Curve was doing. We looked at sort of the pricing model, what they were doing with, you know, ads or blogging and marketing and whatnot. And, um, you know, we, we converted our first customers from, you know, just people we knew at Ripple Pop. And then, you know, we kind of did our own, you know, one-off sales, emailing, marketing campaigns, things like that to really fill out, like I said, 15 customers for Mike and I when one would leave, you know, try and find one more. Um, and just kind of, like I said, live in that little happy world for a little while. Huh, that's interesting. So from there, like you said that you and Mike kind of managed that for about a year. What what did you learn? And and I, I mean, as you were saying before, the the small jobs model doesn't, like where, where did that sort of fall down for you? Was it that you were just getting too many uh, small requests per day per client? Like how did that work out? It more so breaks down to who a $79 a month customer is. And, and I don't mean that in any offense to any of our past customers or anybody looking for a plan at that price, but it's, it's more so a matter of when you're dealing with you know someone who is paying you $79 a month for support, generally that $79 means quite a bit to them. It's quite an expense for their maintenance of their website. And so that carries a lot of weight in terms of, you know, if you're dealing with, I'll just go with the Bob's Donut Shop example again. And, you know, Bob runs the site, he runs the donut shop, something goes down on his site. He thinks it's, you know, absolute end of the world. Everything needs to stop to handle getting Bob's site back online. He thinks for $79 a month that, you know, he, should be able to call me on the phone, text me, you know, whatever, right? He, for some reason that, you know, that lower cost customer thinks that the service quality should be just as high as if, you know, you were paying thousands a month or something. You know, it's, that's so, it's so funny how that, that paradox has been there for so long and it's so true, right? It's, yeah, it's weird how like the lower budget clients there are and the lower they're paying, it's not, obviously it's not the case for everyone. I I hate making these blanket statements. Yeah, yeah. But you see these these patterns all the time where it's like the the less that they're paying, the less budget that they have, you know, the the more demanding they can be. And and a lot of times they're they're more difficult personalities to work with. And then I would I, I used to always be amazed, and I still am sometimes, with 
the high budget clients, the large companies, they're paying a lot. It's almost like it's just too easy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it, it really is crazy. And that's kind of, you know, what we, what we came to notice was we changed from $79 a month to what we thought was extremely risky at the time. And we didn't know how it was going to work. We switched to a $370 a month plan for unlimited site coverage. So it was really no different than our original plan. The only difference was instead of one site covered by the plan, it's unlimited. So it made it, you know, great for agencies. You know, if you have 50 sites and you just want one plan to pass off a couple of things a night to a developer, you know, it it attracted a lot of agencies due to that. So when we made that change, we thought, oh no, you know, people are going to see this is too expensive. You know, we're going to have difficulty selling it. And it was, you know, it, it sold just as well as the other plan, if not better, had just as positive as, of a customer reaction, had less churn in terms of, you know, just people leaving us every month. And overall, the customer dealing with them was much easier, you know, in, in every sort of regard in terms of how demanding they were. You know, if a site went down overnight, you know, and it wasn't our developer's fault, it just, you know, happened to go down. They were the ones to be, you know, the most patient in a sense, right? Where, you know, you know, just please try and get this back up during your next shift instead of, you know, I demand you get online right now and respond to me or else I'm asking for a refund. So yeah, it was a big shift when we changed our pricing to that 370 model where, you know, an agency could come to us with unlimited sites. And again, because we were dealing with agencies, we were dealing with a lot more people that that sort of, you know, knew what it was going to be like or or sort of knew the the development experience and so they knew you know kind of what they were handing off to us and you know if it had complexity where you know Bob's donut shop is not going to know the complexity of you know adding some custom functionality to his site you know where these agencies they'll understand you know hey I know this might take a few weeks just make some progress on it every day um sort of stuff so it definitely was a big sort of you know, moment for us to, to no longer play that, you know, cheapest pricing plan out there and say, no, we, we have a specific customer and it's going to be, you know, agencies or small one man band type operations. And we want to be sort of their, their go-to developer. Can you tell me a little bit more about your hiring process and how, how did you get started with, with, uh, you know, growing the, the team of developers and going to the Philippines and using Upwork and, and all that, or I don't know, if you, I don't even know if you do use Upwork, but like, yeah. Yeah. How does that, how does that work out? Yeah. So a lot of it really came from really just taking cues from what others were doing. Um, Design Pickle and, and Russ Perry over there have, have been, you know, a big influence on, you know, not only these productized services, but just, you know, us in general and, you know, cues that we were taking along the way. But yeah, we we saw that they were mainly sourcing from the Philippines and we listened to podcasts as to why. And it all seemed, you know, pretty much the same reasoning I was explaining earlier. And it all seemed like, all right, you know, if we're going to try and find when Mike and I were about a year in, you know, we said, you know, this is fun and all, but I don't know if I want to be doing the dev work day in and day out. You know, I don't know if I want to be logging in and, you know, dealing with 15 potentially happy or angry customers every day. You know, I'd rather pay someone to do that and scale this up a little bit. And so it was about a year in when we decided to do that, you know, and kind of delegate the dev work to someone else and really focus on scaling. 
And that's when, like I said, we were kind of going through and seeing what other services were doing, where they were sourcing from and why. And, you know, we really just went to the Philippines because we saw that, you know, people were sourcing from there with pretty good luck. And we spent quite a while finding our first dev. We really didn't have a hiring process or testing or anything, you know, formal like that. It was, you know, posting up the job, taking in applicants, doing Zoom calls with each one of them, following up, giving them, you know, test sort of requests to handle, seeing how they would reply to emails, all that sort of stuff. Really just, you know, one-off picking the right person. So we found our first developer. His name is Danel. He is still with us today. And that was really the, the big sort of moment for us was... You know, we got a developer in place who, you know, full time was taking care of all of our customers. And Mike and I now, you know, had this free time to start thinking about, you know, advertising, getting new customers, how many, you know, how many customers per dev is the right ratio? What does that leave our profit margins at? You know, kind of really starting to have a lot of the fun conversations. And so, you know, our our team sort of built slowly from there. And Danell has always been sort of our go-to guy where, you know, we have a much more formal hiring process now um, and a hiring manager, but Danell is still our sort of final round, you know, interviewer where, you know, he's seen everything under the sun over the past, you know, three or four years with us. So, you know, he's always the one to say, yeah, I think they, they have what it takes or, you know, no, I don't think they're going to be able to service our customers very well. Very cool. Um, you mentioned advertising. Like, how, how have you been doing marketing and and uh, yeah. and the growth throughout the years? Yeah. So, really, again, it 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 comes down to Mike and I really trying to keep this thing as small and efficient as possible. Where we said, you know, hey, there's a million marketing channels we can try out there. We could do LinkedIn, YouTube, Google Ads, Facebook, you know, whatnot. And we said, you know, instead of really spreading ourselves too thin and trying them all and probably failing for a long time at all of them. Let's just really figure out one good sales channel right now. And, you know, you, you never, I mean, you obviously can't build a table on one leg, but, you know, we first just had to find something, a sales channel, and actually understand how it works, how to improve it. And so we just chose Facebook ads, mainly, you know, just due to resources out there, people we had been watching, you know, just ideas that we had to try. And, you know, over the past, you know, three or four years since we started running those, um, really Facebook has been our main, our main channel for, you know, finding new audiences, testing new ad creative, getting new customers. It's almost all, you know, Facebook advertising at the moment. And like those go, those kind of point to like a, a consultation sales funnel sort of thing, or do they, or, or do people sign up without even talking to you? Yeah, so we've we've tried quite a few things. Um, the sales consultation funnel was what we tried early on because we wanted it to really work in a sense. You know, we know that not a lot of people like to sign up for these things without talking to someone on the phone. You know, if you're going to be spending, you know, hundreds of dollars a month over $79, it's a lot harder to just sort of sign up without getting your questions answered or, you know, just making sure somebody can get on the phone. So for a while, we did the, the landing page, which really drove to a consultation call with me. You know, that was working really, really well in terms of conversion rate and, and all of that sort of stuff. The only thing is, you know, my afternoons were blocked off from 1 to 5 p.m. every day. 
and over time that starts to have an effect on, you know, what your output can really be for the business during the other hours. And, you know, your sales are in a sense linear or capped at, you know, potentially how many calls you can have. So Mike and I did a lot of work to really beef up things like our FAQ and our documentation and things to answer questions before they happen. We used to have a live chat on our site, but Mike, Mike is a very um, like one piece flow type of guy, if you're familiar with that methodology. And he's not a big fan of, you know, having notifications on his phone sort of thing. He doesn't like to get disrupted from whatever he is, you know, actively working on. And so, you know, that disruption can be anything like, you know, a live chat, a new email, anything like that. And so we, you know, really needed to crack down and work on the business. But I had, you know, four or five calls every day. I was answering live chats, you know, I was, I was working sales in a sense. And so a lot of the other parts of the business were, you know, struggling just because I didn't have the time of day to really give, give them that. And so that's, that's when we, you know, like I said, really built out the FAQ, built out our documentation. We took the live chat off of the site. We noticed that sales really weren't affected that much. Most of the people live chatting weren't really the people who were going to be signing up anyway. It was kind of an interesting thing to find. And then we removed the consultation call as well. That did have an effect on sales or how effective, in a sense, the sales and the ad conversions were. But we were still seeing conversions to the point where, you know, calculating it out with lifetime value of the customer, where it just made sense not to reintroduce calls if we could still get sales. So we kind of reduced our funnel back back down to, you know, originally it was much more like a funnel, right? You, you got into the funnel by booking a call. I got on the call with you. Follow-up emails were sent, you know, all the really kind of standard marketing practice sort of stuff. And, you know, now it's, it's much more simplified in the sense of, you know, hey, here's our product. If it's for you, it's for you. If it's not, it's not. So if they just come to the website and purchase, like what happens from there? Yeah. So basically immediately our, our customer champion gets alerted when you sign up and she will send you an email, you know, welcoming you, introducing herself and her role. And letting you know that, you know, if you were to just sign up out of the blue, we don't exactly know your needs just yet. So she would probably, you know, say, hey, specifically, is there anything, you know, you're looking for that I can make sure I find the best fit person on our team? If not, you know, we have these three great people. I can assign any one of them. But, you know, are there any specifics? Are you using any specific WordPress plugins that you need an expert in? Or, you know, something like that, which can help guide us to making, you know, a better long-term decision for them. So generally that process takes care, gets taken care of within 24 hours of you signing up. And then your developer's ready to start kind of the next day sort of thing. Uh, most, Most customers will, and what we kind of changed in our funnel is instead of a consultation, it is a, a share your needs form. So if you want to like engage with us before signing up, you can share your needs with us, which is just a simple form that says, you know, hey, what are you dealing with on a daily basis? How much help do you think you need? What tools are you using the most? You know, is there anything else you want to tell us? And so that's, that's now the way that people sort of enter into a conversation with us if they're interested and have questions is they fill out, you know, what specific needs they have. 
And then we can get back to them and say, hey, we have these five guys on our team that meet those needs. Um, and here's their availability. You know, would you like to proceed with any of them? Yeah, very cool. I'm actually looking at at your uh, tell us about your needs form, and it looks like you just set it up with a type form, and it it actually starts with a with a video. I think that's you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. So me. it's like you're still getting like the personal experience. You see, there there are real people behind this business, but you know that you don't have to fill up your calendars <laughs> to make it work. Yeah, and so it it really just has been a big push lately to get out of our own way. You know where. As nice as it is to have sales calls, you know, every day and know that, you know, I'm converting people to sign up to new plans. You know, it's also that part of you that that hurts knowing that, you know, there are other areas of the business you should be focusing on. You know, your time management probably is a little bit off because, you know, you're prioritizing the one-off sale, which isn't really scalable, right? I I can only scale to so many calls a day. And so, you know, the big challenge for Mike and I is, you know, how do we get out of this idea of linear growth? And like I said, our, our answer was, hey, let's, let's go hard at Facebook advertising. Let's spend a long time figuring that out. And let's, you know, make sure we know how to run a successful campaign on Facebook. And then we don't, you know, we don't need to worry about being on the phones all day long or reaching out via cold emails or cold calls. Yeah. Well, Jordan, this is uh, really impressive what, what you've built here. And uh, I, I think you, you've taken a very interesting approach at, at a pretty common problem, which is, you know, wor- uh, WordPress development, especially in the agency world. So, of course, your, your website is ripplepop.com. And, uh, you know, we'll be excited to see, you know, the developments over the next uh, couple of years here. Anywhere else people can uh, connect with you or follow along? Yeah, you can. Um, ripplepop.com is a great place. I'm sure if you search Jordan Johnson on LinkedIn, uh, it will be impossible to find me in the sea of Jordan Johnsons out there. <laughs> right. But yeah, just uh, go to our website. You can email us at hello at ripplepop.com. I monitor that, e- that uh, email address. So, you know, if you want to get right to me, you can just email me at hello at ripplepop.com or jordan at ripplepop.com. Either one will, will get right to me and I'll, you know, gladly answer any questions or chat with you about anything. Very nice. Well, uh, very cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this, Jordan. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. All right. All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.